0: to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of Mare Repro 101 with Dr. Karen Wolfsdorff of the Haggard Equine Medical Institute in Kentucky. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Wolfsdorf joined Haggard in 2002 and she works as a field veterinarian and as an equine reproduction specialist at the McGee Fertility Center. She received her veterinary degree and completed her residency in theriogenology at the University of Florida. Thank you, Dr. Wolfstorff, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about Mare Reproduction 101. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you
1: today. I'm very excited about what we can potentially share and help everybody out in the veterinary field on what to do with your mare or your pregnant mare.
0: Well, that's great. So we know that there are many veterinarians who have few, if any, equine reproduction patients in their daily practice. However, We also know that many veterinarians have practices where they tend to any animal presented to them, including pregnant mares. So sometimes even veterinarians are called in to assist in equine pregnancy and foaling situations at rescues where mares may even face other health issues in addition to being pregnant. So let's start by helping these veterinarians out and and letting them access some of your years of experience. What is a checklist that veterinarians should look at for a pregnant mare if they're called out?
1: Well, I think it's very interesting um, that we should basically start off with just general body condition and health and, and well-being because a pregnant mare is no different to a regular mare except that she's trying to feed a baby growing inside. And so it's very important to make sure that they are in good body condition. You want to be able to feel ribs but not see ribs you want to make sure they are in a good plane of nutrition. Everybody, I think, thinks that, oh, my mare, since she's carrying a foal, needs to be overly um endowed in her body weight. And that's not actually true. Uh, Some mares will have difficulty falling if they are too fat. It narrows the birth canal as well as their perineal region. And so what I like to go on is I like them to be healthy, but not overly fat. I'd also rather just see them on an upward plane of nutrition than on a Needing to be on a downward plane of nutrition and you know put on their put on their Christmas diet, so to speak. Um, so it's very important the health and condition of the mare in order to be provide what the foal needs when it is born as well as when it is growing. So overall general health is probably the first thing I want to do. And then it depends on the stage of gestation that the mayor's at as to what is going to be important at that time so things that we want to look at with regards to the mayor is we want to see what her vaccination program or um, protocol is for that specific area As we all know as veterinarians that each area is different with what diseases we see most frequently. For example, um, Kentucky is an area that has botulism. We also see a lot of rotavirus in our foals. And so these are two diseases that we want to address and make sure that our pregnant mares are covered. Um, Other areas don't have any botulism. And so you don't necessarily need to vaccinate your mare for that. But if they are shipping somewhere else, to full, that is very important to find out, and what is needed in that area that they are shipping to. So vaccinations, according to the area, are very important. Um, mayors, you want not only to to have their regular vaccines, but you want to make sure that they get their full dose of of core and um, you know disease oriented vaccines the last month of gestation. And the reason why we want to give it to them in their 10th month of gestation is because that's the time in which they build their antibodies. And the antibodies will then go into their mammary gland and the foal will then ingest potentially the the mare's colostrum and that colostrum provides the foal with the antibodies needed to fight disease in their early age. So it's a very, very important thing to make sure that those foals are covered with the protect immunizations and against disease. And then another thing we want to start looking at and monitoring is we want to start looking at their mammary gland. Um, Normal mares will carry throughout pregnancy with a normal sized mammary gland. Obviously maiden mares won't have much. Uh, Foaling mares sometimes don't ever go back to to the smaller mammary gland, especially if they've had a foal and have been weaned. But we want to make sure that there's no premature mammary gland development, because premature mammary gland development is one of the first signs that we see that there is an abnormality in the development of the foal, especially um, with placentitis. We can also see premature mammary gland development in mares that have twins. Um, And so, it's important to try and differentiate and diagnose what may be causing the mammary gland development and therefore you will be able to treat them appropriately and monitor them appropriately. So that's another thing that we like to look at. The other thing is is also vulva. We want to make sure that the vulva has good confirmation that they're not sucking air, that they're not pooling urine, and that and that um, there's no abnormal vulva discharge. Because when there's abnormal vulva discharge Most of the time it's coming from the uterus and again, another sign of abnormalities that can be occurring such as placentitis and therefore affecting the developing fetus. Um, So those are kind of the general things that we like to um, monitor and at least be aware of in our pregnant mares. I think with um, more recent research and monitoring and ultrasounding of pregnancies, we've identified that we are able to follow the pregnancies and identify problems earlier with ultrasounding. And so some of our um, farms that have had problems in the past have problem mares. Uh, mayors that have histories of aborting, um, older mayors, mayors that have a very high value, we will go ahead and actually start monitoring those pregnancies at about six to seven months of gestation. And we can monitor them both transrectally um, doing ultrasounds as well as transabdominally to try and identify any abnormalities that occur early. And so we can obviously treat them appropriately and therefore have the foal go to term grow better and have a a more
0: normal gestation and, and foaling. So, Dr. Wolfsdorf, I know um, a lot of times veterinarians are asked, hey, when is this mare going to be due? And for a veterinarian that's, that hasn't maybe been in on the start of a pregnancy, someone either has adopted a mare or has purchased a mare and she's pregnant and they, they have their regular veterinarian uh, taking care of her. What are the things that you can help maybe with that owner to get questions to ask about her history from the, the previous owner if they can get it? Or due dates, you know what? What can you help veterinarians for with that?
1: Well, I think that's the million-dollar question, and um, I often wish I had a crystal ball to answer that. Um, Because the mare is going to basically foal in a sense when she wants to. We think or we know that the normal gestational period can be anywhere from 325 days to 350 or 60 days. Um, So a lot of when a mare is going to foal will depend on um, her age and the quality of her uterus and the ability to nurture and grow that foal. Now, with regards to if you have a mare that um, is just bought or is just found pregnant and you're not sure as to how far along she is in gestation, there are a couple of things that, that you can do. The first thing, obviously, would be to try and find out when the, ma- the mare was last bred or when she was at least exposed to a stallion the last time. Because a lot of times uh, people will not realize that the mare has actually been bred or that the stallion had jumped the fence or um, that, oh no, they've been brother and sister forever and therefore that won't happen. So it's it's important to try and ascertain that. The other things that you can do is you can um, look at the different time periods in gestation and um, you can determine if there is equine chorionic gonadotropin left there that's produced by the endometrial cups. And the endometrial cups are present between basically day uh, 35 to day 120 to 150. And so if you uh, pull a blood and they are equine chorionic gonadotropin positive, you can at least say that they are within that gestational range. As they get older, um, the placenta starts taking over. And so you have progestogens that supply, um, that is the main source of progestogens to the the developing fetus. So those aren't really reliable just to know that they're present because they're present in a mare no matter what stage of gestation. Probably the most um, concise way of trying to identify gestational age would be measurements that you can do of the fetus. Um, of the aorta of the foal and um, there are nice charts, charts as to uh, age or stage of gestation and those measurements with regards to those parameters. So it's not always easy and it's definitely not an exact science at this point in time um, and so it's, it's important to try and ascertain so at least the poor owner is not you know, up for a month in a row watching for this foal to arrive. As the mare does get closer to gestational completion and the mammary gland development does occur, you can start doing milk electrolytes to ascertain how close the mare is to foaling. And those are very helpful um, to owners that don't want to stay up every night uh, for long periods. And it can give you a smaller defined window of when potentially that mare is going to foal.
0: Well, those are, those are great tips. So let's, uh, let's change gears here just a little bit and say that you have an owner who has a mare or several mares that they want to breed in their program. They've gotten to that point, and you're going to be taking care of getting them ready to either AI or live cover. What is your checklist for some of these mares and the things the veterinarian needs to do?
1: I think going back again is starting with history. It is so important to ascertain, you know, how many foals has this mare had? Is she a maiden mare? Does she cycle normally? Um, Has she had a history of endometritis? Has she had a history of abortion? Has she had a history of any diseases or any surgeries or C-sections or colic surgery? because that's always gonna give you an idea of where you're gonna take your examination and what potentially you're going to do during that that examination. So again, I would like to go back and stand back and look at the mare and look at her body condition. Body condition and where her fat pads are, what her hair coat is, Is gonna tell you a lot because if she is an older mare with a thick hair coat that has fat pads, or a crusty neck, uh, you may be thinking that she has Cushing's disease and that is definitely going to affect her reproductive cyclicity and fertility. The same with a middle-aged mare or younger mare that has these adipose tissue sites that are enlarged and she may have insulin resistance. So you want to make sure that they are again in generally good body health with no other underlying disease processes that that can affect their fertility.
0: Today's Disease Shore podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health's Regimate, alternagist. When it comes to delivering safe, predictable control over a mare's reproductive cycle, nothing compares to Regimate. Tried and true, Regimate is proven with 30 years of results and more than 50 million doses sold. That's something no generic can claim. Regimate is contraindicated for use in mares having a previous or current history of uterine inflammation. Review proper use and safe handling of Regimate. Avoid skin contact. Pregnant women or women who suspect they are pregnant should not handle this product. For complete safety information, read the label.
1: And then after I do that, I like to go to the back of the mare. And I think that everybody sometimes freezes by Um, looking at the back end of the mare. And I certainly see numerous back ends staring at at me, which is a good thing. And so you need to uh, be observant of what's going on and look at the vulva conformation and the rectum and see the whole perineal body. Because I think one of the easiest um, solutions to invertility is addressing perineal conformation. And if the mare has her vulva lips that are wide open, Above the brim of the pelvis, and every time she moves, she sucks poops into her vulva. Obviously, those are going to have significant effects on the mare's fertility because we don't want air, we don't want uh, feces. All that will lead to contamination. And there are three kind of defense mechanisms that the mare has conformationally. The first one is her vulva lip, which again we want to be. Um, constructive in protecting things coming from outside in. The second is her vestibular vaginal uh, fold or her hymen area that again closes down so it doesn't allow uh, contamination from the external environment. And then the third one is the cervix. And the cervix again is the window or the opening into the uterus. And so when any of these three seals are compromised, it's going to allow contamination of the uterus. And contamination leads to inflammation or inflammation, even by itself, is not a conducive environment for an embryo to grow and develop into. So that's kind of where I start off and make sure that all of those three seals are, in fact, intact and functional. And then um, we can also look additionally, obviously, at the reproductive tract. And while I look at the perineal body first, I don't necessarily put a speculum in the mare to examine the vestibular vaginal fold or the cervix at the first time or at the first point in my exam because I don't want to introduce air and then not be able to say when I do do my ultrasound that that mare does not have air in her uterus because if I do speck her, she's going to have air in her uterus for me and then I don't know if she has it naturally. So while looking at the perineal region, that's what I first do. And then the next thing I like to do is go ahead and palpate my mare. And I think the art of palpation, unfortunately, has been lost with the advent of the ultrasound. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my ultrasound and I use it a lot, but I think we need to go back to some of the basics sometimes. You know, for example, I had a mare this year that, um, had come to me as a referral that had been bred numerous times last year at chronic endometritis and just by um, palpating the mare, her uterus was really, really, really far forward and I'm somewhat vertically challenged so the larger mares can be a little bit hard for me uh, to feel anyway without being on my tippy toes, but she was way harder than than the average mare. And so um, I worked on her to try and get her uterus more contracted and what ended up happening is that we identified adhesions. We identified that that mare actually had adhesions from a previous foaling that caused the uterus to be adhered to the body wall. And if we hadn't uh, palpated that mare, and gone through all those motions, we actually wouldn't have identified them just by ultrasounding. So we wanna make sure that both ovaries are normal, that they have ovulation fossae present on palpation, that they feel normal. Sometimes mayors that have Cushing's disease will have very firm ovaries with their follicles deeply embedded within the varying tissue. Uh, we wanna make sure that the uterus is freely movable. We wanna identify if um, if they're way forward, baggy, and saggy, or whether they're nicely toned, and then we come back and feel the cervix. And then we go ahead and we can ultrasound, and ultrasound the mare looking for, you know, again, everything that we felt, but we can identify if there's fluid in the uterus, we can identify what type of fluid is in the uterus, whether it's flocculent and lots of things floating freely or whether it's clear and that's going to be important as to what our next step is too and then we can also look for edema and is our edema Um, corresponding to what is on her ovaries, and if it is not, then we also have to stop and think, well, this is not right. Something must be going on. We need to investigate um, further, and so I think it's very important to put all of your tools and all of your knowledge together, and it needs to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, we need to stop and go, okay, what is causing this? Why does it make sense, and what can we do about it? And so again, depending on what I find on all of my previous um, examinations that we've just completed will depend on whether or not or how I'm going to perform my next uh, procedures. And I think it's very important, especially in mayors that have uh, poor histories or histories of abortion or um, endometritis or chronic endometritis or baggy, saggy uterus that uh, we go ahead and make sure that they don't have any underlying inflammation or infection. And there are numerous ways that we can do that. Um, We can do a culture and cytology. Now there are different ways to do cultures and cytologies. There's just using a a straight swab um, that you can get a culture and a cytology from, or there are culture swabs that you get um, your culture with, and then there are brushes that you can get your cytology with. And then there's also another procedure that has become, I think, a little bit more popular recently is a low volume lavage with a culture and cytology. And that's when you basically will run a liter of fluid or People, it depends on how baggy and saggy that uterus is. If you're going to use 250 mLs of fluid or if you're going to use a liter, my mares tend to have bigger uterus and therefore I want to get a most representative sample. And so I will use a liter. And so I put a liter into the uterus and draw the liter back, let it flow back out and then take it to my lab and um, they will spin it down and do a culture cytology from that. So those are kind of the basic things that I start out with just at the beginning of the season to determine one if there is a problem and two what the problem is and then we can determine from that where we go with with treating the problems. I think it's also important to remember that mares that have a history of of problems and that are a little older may require a uterine biopsy or an endometrial biopsy and. You know, to be honest, I shied away from them more over the last four or five years until recently, in which I think that we've always thought that a uterine biopsy gave you a predictive index as to what is the likelihood of that mare carrying a to term, and indeed it does, but it actually gives you a lot more information than just that predictive index. It allows you to see into what is going on in that uterus, It allows you to identify if there's inflammation what type of inflammation, if there are enough glands, if there is fibrosis, are there changes in the vessels. And when we identify these problems, it allows us to better treat that mare as to what those specific issues are. And so I have to say that over the last couple of years, I have gone to, back to doing more uterine biopsies in helping me with one, identifying the problem and two, potentially treating it. So one of the questions that I often get asked is, so, you know, I've done the basics and I'm not successful with getting this mare pregnant, you know, can you take a look at her? And I think that that is a very important point to bring up is that not everybody has um, the ability to do some of the further diagnostics. And so, as a thyroidologist, we are here to help the general practitioner. I always tell our interns and my associates that, you know, I'm a phone call away. There are lots of people that are there to help you. And so, when you um, feel like you've done everything within your power and that you're not getting the results that you want, or you just don't even know where to begin if this is not something you do on a daily basis, there are a lot of therogenologists out there and the universities have them. A lot of the private practices have them now. And so pick up a phone, call a practice, call a university, and I'll be asked to talk to a theogenologist. I talk to a lot of people Um, about a lot of different things and I'm happy to help however I can even if sometimes it's hard obviously to do it over the phone uh, but sometimes they get referred into us in which we can look at them or even if it's about you know hey, I did this culture and I grew this. What do you think about this? What should I treat it with? What are your recommendations and how I should approach it? And it's sometimes good just to have another person to bounce things off and help you identify a path to go down and when to potentially refer when you've done everything that you can. So. I guess the bottom line is, don't be afraid to call somebody, phone a friend, and we're always out here
0: and happy to help however we can. Thank you, Dr. Wolfstorff, for being our guest on today's episode of Disease Du Jour, and thank our listeners for joining us today. And a special thanks to our 2021 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Please make sure and listen and rate previous and future episodes of Disease Du Jour. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform, or you can find recordings on equimanagement.com. And make sure and take our survey so we know how to better serve you with our podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email me at kbrown, that's the letter K, brown, at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.